Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. On this show, we discuss topics relating to the exterior building envelope, such as waterproofing, glazing, cladding, roofing, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For previous episodes, show notes, and bonus video content, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. Now, here's your host for the Everything Building Envelope podcast, Paul Beers. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. I'm Paul Beers, CEO of GCI Consultants, and I'll be the host today. I'm excited to do this podcast. It's probably been over a year and a half since I last did one. I've been super busy working on hurricane claims. As you know, there was a lot of hurricanes in 2017, 2018, and we've been scrambling ever since to help folks identify and remedy the damages. I'm really excited today to have as our guest returning Jason Bondurant. Jason's a senior consultant here at GCI Consultants. So we have a really interesting topic to share with you today, which is all about water leakage investigations. So Jason, welcome. Thanks for having me. Probably we have people that listened the last time you were on and maybe some that didn't. So you just tell them briefly about a little bit about yourself and then we'll hop right into the topic. So uh, I'm a senior consultant for GCI. I've been working for GCI for about six years. Right now I'm dealing mostly with problems with existing buildings, doing forensic investigations, something that I really enjoy doing and I look forward to talking about it with everyone today. Great. So I think the underlying factor here with obviously talking about water leakage investigations is the problem of of water getting into buildings and water damage. So Jason, could you maybe just talk a little bit more about and it goes on to when water starts coming into a building and, and you know causes the damages? Yeah, well, and I'll just say to start off that you know when we're talking about forensic investigations of buildings, the majority of the cases that we deal with are water intrusion problems. Water damage is the biggest source of insurance claims, and it's something that it's a really big issue for us, especially in South Florida here, where we have you know extreme weather conditions. So water damage is a big problem. It it causes damage inside of buildings. It's difficult to accurately trace and resolve. And it's something that I think most building owners, property managers, architects, contractors have experience with. Yeah, you know, so it's funny because I always say, you know, how, how do you have a big problem with the building? Have water start coming into it. You know, it's just nothing good happens. People get upset. There can be health issues, it damages interior finishes, things like that. And what's really interesting, Jason, and I know that you've been involved in all these areas, is that and any type of building can be affected by water damage from a, from a newly constructed building or even a building under construction to, you know, which is construction defects, things like that, to, you know, existing buildings that that maybe have had problems all along, or maybe, you know, over time with with maintenance issues and whatnot, problems develop. And then, of course, uh, storm damage. So you've you've worked on a lot of different scenarios where where you have water problems, haven't you? Yeah, we get involved in in all those types of situations. And one thing that I will say is that every single one is unique. 
there's not a single one that is exactly the same. They all have to be assessed and evaluated uniquely according to, you know, the conditions on that specific project. But, you know, absolutely, we deal with condominiums, hospitals, office buildings, single family homes, you know, water damage affects all of them. It's a big problem. So I thought what what we might do is lay a little foundation for, um, and and let's focus on windows and doors today as opposed to, you know, that water damage can occur in many areas from below grade, underground, right on up to the roof. But there's a lot of stuff to talk about there. We could do many podcasts, but for right now, let's just focus on windows and doors. So let's lay a little foundation for what some of the standards are for windows and doors, and then we can... um, you know, talk more about how to investigate specific problems. So, Jason, what is the criteria for new window and door assemblies to basically get certified for use in building codes nationally and and regionally? Well, you know, any window or door product has to go through a slew of laboratory tests in order to get approval. And basically, tests uh, involve structural tests, water infiltration tests, air infiltration tests, impact resistance tests, which are especially important here in South Florida, forced entry resistance tests, so on and so forth. The important point here, you know, in this podcast dealing with water intrusion is that there's a big difference between how the products are tested and what the design rating is of the products from a structural standpoint versus a water intrusion standpoint. So typically when the products are tested in in the lab from a structural standpoint, they're tested as much as 150% of the design rating of that window or door. So if if that window or door is rated for 100 PSF, it was tested in a lab for up to 150, just as, as an example. Now, when it comes to water, the bar is set much lower and and you know we could talk about why that is but as of right now um and, and and we could talk about whether we think that's adequate or not but as of right now the requirement for the testing for water infiltration resistance is only 15% of the design pressure rating of the window or door so just think about that for a second so structural 150% water 15% there's a big difference there and it's somewhat justified. I mean, structural is more of, you know, a life safety issue. So it's it's understandable. But the point is that if you have, and, you know, we deal with a lot of building owners that have this misconception, you know, they think that their window or door is rated for 100 mile an hour winds. Well, that may be true from a structural standpoint. It's not necessarily true from a water intrusion standpoint. So the when these things and, and then on top of that, when these things are tested in the laboratory, is it's how would you compare the laboratory conditions to field conditions? Well, obviously, you know, a, a lab is it's a very so the way that they test these things um, for a water test, for example is in a lab it's typically a 15 minute test and as we all know especially being in here in south florida you know we get rains that last a lot longer than 15 minutes so it's it's not it's not necessarily simulating 
all different types of natural conditions that can occur. So it's it, it has its limitations. It's designed that way for a reason. Um, but it, you know, you, you can't compare these lab tests to, you know, the conditions that the window or door would experience during tropical storms or hurricanes. Yeah, so the the thing that that we've seen in here in the last year or two um, in Florida and other areas actually is that the, you have the 15 minute lab test to certify the the products for building code approval. When Hurricane Irma hit South Florida, there was they were basically under high loads and heavy rain for you know eight, 10, 12 hours or longer. So the duration of the real storm and not, and you know, and that can happen not only in a, in a tropical storm, even in a, you know, a low pressure system, whatever, the duration of the time that windows and doors are subjected to wind driven rain in the field can vary greatly from obviously from a laboratory test. So, Let's let's kind of just take go through this. So, so we've talked about what they do in a laboratory. Then then we go out and we install these windows in a, in a building. Let's say it's a you know a high rise oceanfront building somewhere, um, Florida or Northeast or wherever. So is it how, how do you when you install a new window, Jason? How do you know how how can you give yourself assurance that you're going to, that it's not going to leak once, once the building is occupied? Well, so GCI also gets involved in quality control for new construction projects as well. And typically what we would do on these kinds of projects, when you have a newly inst installed window or door into a building, there is a test, uh, a field test for testing the water infiltration resistance of windows and doors. And it's very similar to the lab test. Uh, basically, we're spraying the exterior of the window or door with a spray rack that's uniformly spraying water over the surface area of the window or door. And then on the inside, there's an interior chamber that's mounted to the window or door and um, that's done in order to apply a pressure inside in order to simulate a wind-driven rain. So you're basically sucking water into the window or door during the test. And it's very similar to the lab test. The only difference is that the field test is performed at two-thirds of what the lab test was performed at. And the reason why it's done that way is just to account for imperfect conditions in the field. So they allow a one-third reduction factor. But again, it's still a 15-minute test, and this is the appropriate test. This is the test that architects are specifying for quality control on new construction projects. So just to take it through the numbers again with our 100 pounds per square foot, rated door <clears throat> can you just run through the structural test pressure the laboratory test pressure and now the field test pressure just so people can get a feeling for you know what we're looking at yeah so so if it's rated for 100 then the maximum load that it was tested at for us you know from a structural performance perspective was 150 percent of that or 150 
and the laboratory test for water infiltration resistance is done at 15% of that or 15 PSF. And the field test would reduce that lab test pressure by one third, which would be 10 PSF for the field test. Yeah. So I'm going to just say that reducing it to two thirds is not my favorite thing to do. It's an industry standard and I understand, but architects and specifiers are also free to, you know, write their own field test specification. And my recommendation is to test it at the, at the laboratory pressure. If it's a brand new window, just gives you a higher margin for error manufacturers, contractors, whatnot, installers may not like it, but it it does raise the bar a little bit. And just maybe put this in terms that people would maybe understand a little bit better than than pressure. So if if we're going to do a rough approximation between the pounds per square foot and the wind speed, if you're talking about 100 PSF, you're talking about almost 200 miles an hour. If you're talking about, so that's from a structural standpoint, and we see, we sometimes see this in marketing of the window and door products that they say it's rated up to, you know, 150 miles an hour. It comes from that. But when you look at the 10 PSF, you're talking about around, you know, just over 60 mile an hour winds. So, and and actually that's, that's even quite high. You know, I mean, I think it's normal for us here in South Florida and other parts of the country that's very high and, and most products are not rated that high. So that, that kind of puts it into perspective for everyone. And, you know, the 60 mile an hour wind speed, if we'll just use that as an example, pretty much will take care of everyday weather conditions. Even when you get a microburst, a wind-driven, you know, thunderstorm, summer thunderstorm, things like that. It's when you get into these extreme weather events like hurricanes that it exceeds the rating and stuff will leak that's not rated that high. And, and we would expect it to leak. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So now we've talked about something that's newly installed and that's how it gets tested. So now let's talk about, you know, further down the road. So what the industry standards say is that the, the field testing of a newly installed window or door assembly should be done within six months of installation, which is interesting because some projects they're in place for longer than six months, even before the building's finished on a large high-rise building. But mm-hmm. so if leakage occurs later than that, say it occurs five years later, what has to happen then, Jason? Well, so, you know, if we're talking about down the road, you know, I, I think uh, more often than not, the reason why the testing is even happening in the first place is most likely because there's some kind of a problem there's some kind of a leak. So what AMA, who is the you know governing, governing body for all these different test standards for window and door products, what they say is that uh, you should use AMA 511, which is the guideline for forensic water penetration testing of fenestration products. So basically what you're trying to do with AMA 511 is it's more of a diagnostic procedure as opposed to a quality assurance one. So you're trying to determine where that water is coming from under you know, normal service conditions of the building. So AMA 511 directs you to another standard 
which is ASTM 2128, which is the standard we use for evaluating water leakage in building walls. And these two standards together are what kind of guide us through this type of uh, leakage investigation. And so, you know, I think we should probably start from the beginning, you know, before we even get to the testing on these types of projects, there's other things that need to happen. You know, it's it's basically a, a whole systematic approach to investigating the water leakage. So what, let's take a deeper dive into ASTM E2128, which is called, what is it called, Jason? Evaluating water leakage in building walls. Yeah. Let's go through all the steps of a, of a water leakage investigation. I guess the first question I would have for you is, is it just water testing or is there more to it? No. So, you know, when, when we get called into these kinds of projects, you know, it's usually an existing building. Maybe it's been around, been, you know, constructed and in service for 30 years, 40 years, even longer, sometimes new buildings. Let's take a deeper dive into ASTM E2128, which in the title of the document, by the way, is Standard Guide for Evaluating Water Leakage in Building Walls. And the document basically outlines eight steps in the process for what you would do to investigate water leakage in building walls. And I'll run, them, I'll run through the list, Jason, and then maybe we'll go back in and talk about them. So the first thing they say you should do is a review of the project documents. Then, number two, evaluate the design concept, in this case of the windows and doors, which we're talking about. Uh, The next thing is a determination of service history. Then an inspection, you know, obviously a site inspection. Then investigative testing. We're gonna talk about that, I'm sure, more. We've already talked about it somewhat. An analysis of the results. And lastly, the production of a report. So Jason, the stuff that we do before we go out and do the inspection and we do the investigative testing, let's talk about that a little bit. And I want you to also focus on what happens if sometimes some of this information isn't available. How do, how do you go through you know, trying to figure out what we've got and how to work with it? So typically when we get involved in these kinds of things, usually it's a building owner that comes to us and says, you know, we need your help. We have a leak in, you know, unit whatever, or we have leaks all over the building and we need, we need you to come and tell us how to fix it. And there's very little information that's provided up front. So the first step that we always do in these kinds of things is we try to gather as many relevant documents as we can that would help us in our investigation. So usually what we ask for are things like construction drawings. Uh, If we're dealing with windows or doors, we would try to see if we can get shop drawings, if we can get any information about what the types of products are. If there's any leak logs, anything, you know, maybe a maintenance book, something where they're recording when when the leaks have happened. I would say that, you know, this step, it, it varies widely between different buildings. You know, it mainly comes down to, I think, the property manager and how good a job they've done of 
collecting and, and retaining all of this information over the years. Sometimes we get almost nothing and sometimes we get a lot of stuff. You know, and this is the type of stuff that can really help expedite our investigation, you know, if we have a lot of this information to build on. So once we've gathered all of that information, then, you know, according to ASTM 2128, the next thing that they say needs to happen is you need to evaluate the design concept. And what they're really referring to there is how is the envelope of the building, you know, how, how was it intended to manage water? You know, if you're talking about a wall system, is it a, a drainable rain screen type of wall system where you have a weather barrier behind the exterior cladding? Is it a barrier wall system, which is more typical for us in South Florida? Also evaluating the design concept of, of the windows and doors themselves. You know, we just want to understand, you know, what, what was the intent of the design. The step after that is determining the service history, which that, you know, we're, we're trying to find any information about, like I mentioned before, if there are any leak logs that say when and where leaks have happened, that information is really useful. If we can get any information about prior renovations or remediation attempts, a lot of times when we get involved in these kinds of things, we are probably not the first, maybe not even the second, but maybe the third or fourth person that's been called in to help them de you know, determine how to fix this problem. I mean, typically, m most owners are going to contact a contractor first if they have a problem. And generally, when, when we get involved, it's when someone has tried and failed to fix the problem. So we want to know what were the prior repair attempts. And so all this is done really before we even really start any field work on the project. Yeah, so it, it's interesting that that a lot of times when we do get involved there's we, there's been various types of attempts to to you know stop a leak. And it's hard. And we get these calls every week, you know, where, where things have been done, money's been spent, you know, contractors have done things, installers, whatever, and it's still leaking. And that's why this systematic approach to evaluating water leakage using this ASTM standard with some, with some AMA guidelines about how to use it really is a great way to go because it's a scientific way to evaluate the problem and to determine what the fix is. And then you can even, you know, verify it with further testing that, that the fix worked. And, and Jason, this is, you know, there's no, never any guarantees for success, but can you talk a little bit about, I know you're humble, but can you talk a little bit about how much luck we have had with this? Well, and you just made me think of one other thing. And just, just to give you one quick example about what we were just talking about. So part of the reason why when you're going through all this stuff is you, you need to evaluate the design concept. And a good example of that is a lot of times we'll come and we'll see that there were past remediation attempts on a particular project. And in some cases, the remediation attempts have even made the problem worse because whoever either designed or performed those repairs did not evaluate the design co concept just as an example you know if you have like a drainable wall system like a weather barrier behind the stucco as an example that's typically 
designed to drain out at the head of a window or door. You know, and it does that by having a through wall flashing at the head of the door where the weather barrier laps over and directs the water out and prevents the water from collecting on top of the head of the window. Well, you know, we've been involved in several of these where maybe the contractor comes out and he sees that opening there, doesn't really understand what that's for, seals it up, and now they've just made the problem worse. <laughs> so not only did they not fix the problem, they've made it worse. So that that's just one example and why it's really why, like you mentioned, ASTM 2128 is laid out that way so that you don't make those kinds of mistakes. And just to answer your question, I mean, I, I think we have a pretty good record for fixing these things. I will admit that some of these are incredibly challenging and we're not always going to have all the answers after our first time walking on a project and, and looking at some of these conditions. Um, and, and I think you know, we're about to get into the, the testing aspect, but I think in the end, you know, we're, we're going to go through the process and I think we've been very successful as long as we stick to this general methodology. I, the, the word that I was thinking, and I, this when I think of you, this is a word I think of is tenacious. I mean, we've, you've got to sometimes dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And I know you've literally done this in like, areas where you've got leakage of, of, say, a basement or something, you have to dig all the dirt out just to get there to look at it. But it's sort of the same thing with windows and doors. And, and this is a nice segue for us to talk about what we do as we start getting into the investigation. So again, maybe we're not even ready to test yet. What do we do when we go out to the site? How does that process work as far as figuring out what we've got and what we what we need to do? So when we go out to the site, one of the first things I like to do, and, and this is part of the determination of service history aspect of it, but you want to interview as many people as you can that, that do have information about the in-service performance of the building. So usually managers, building engineers, maintenance people, owners, we like to talk to them and have them show us where the problems are, you know, get an idea when or where the problems occurred. So that's one of the biggest things we do when we first go out to a project. And then the other thing we do is obviously we're there to perform our initial visual inspection. And, you know, when we do that, we want to look at usually how I like to handle it is I like to go inside the building first and see what the evidence is of the leak just to get an idea of, you know, where the water damage is occurring and maybe start to get some theories about where it could be coming from on the exterior. Then we would go to the exterior and, and just visually look and see, is there any obvious things that we can point out right away that, you know, we think could be suspect? You know, so now we're really starting to maybe focus on certain aspects where we think we really need to dig deeper on. And so that's really the, the first visual inspection part. And then the other thing that I like to do is, is typically, you know, when we do these, there is going to be some amount of testing that's required. So while we're there for that initial visit, we're already thinking about, okay, these, like I mentioned, we're, we're developing a theory and we're, we're starting to think about in what ways can we perform some kind of forensic diagnostic water test in order to help verify or disprove that theory. So, so now we've looked at the, at the damage. We've, look inside and outside at any, you know, 
for any obvious defects or errors. And, and we've elected, which we normally do, not every time, but many times we then um, elect to do investigative testing. So how does that work? Yeah, and I would say most of the time we do the testing, it's really important. And the first thing I'll say, I guess right off the bat, and, and this is something that a lot of people don't totally understand, is that the, the testing, a lot of times on these cases, if, if you're dealing with water leakage problems on a huge building and, and the problems are very widespread, it's not realistic to go and test every single location. But some amount of testing should be done, and I think it's it's very important. So, you know, what what we try to do is we come up with a, a really detailed plan for what we want to test. What we're trying to do with the testing, just as a big picture, is we're trying to recreate leaks that would cause observable damage that we're seeing inside the building and we're trying to do it in a controlled way where we're isolating different aspects of the building envelope at a time. So in other words, you know, and I always tell people this, but I could go to a building that has leak problems when it's raining and I can see leaks coming in, but it's not really going to tell me that much because the whole wall and windows and the roof and everything's getting wet outside. So and as most people know that have dealt with these types of problems, water can work in sometimes seemingly mysterious ways, and it's difficult to to be able to tell to pinpoint exactly where it's coming from just by looking at it. So we're trying to isolate different things. So, and, and we're trying to you know verify a hypothesis. So prior to the testing, we've already gone and we've inspected the building and. You know, we've seen, I think we're starting to, to see what the patterns are. You know, are we seeing water damage mostly at the head of the window? Are we seeing it mostly at the base of the wall? Are we seeing it, you know, at multiple different types of conditions? So we're, we're, we're starting to try to see what are the patterns there. And then, you know, we want to test some of these typical conditions. So we want to select locations that are, representative of, of what we've seen from our visual inspection and come up with a, a specific protocol for how we want to do the testing. It, it takes a lot of coordination. Um, typically, we're working inside of someone's unit or we might be working inside of a hospital or you know a government building. And the testing itself can be sometimes pretty disruptive if we're doing destructive testing, which is also a part of our investigation occasionally, that is obviously destructive. And so it is an interruption to the building's activities, and it's something that has to be carefully planned and organized between us, the property manager, the owners, anybody else that's in, involved in the project. I was going to say, tell us a little bit more. When you used to say destructive, that's a scary word, and I know nobody likes to hear that. And I don't think we like to say it, but it's a necessary evil. Can you talk a little bit more about just maybe some an example of what we would do that's destructive and why we would do it? Well, I, I would say that we don't always do destructive testing. This is something that we determine on a case-by-case -case basis. But the reason why it is sometimes necessary, you know, to state the obvious we don't have x-ray vision. You know, a lot of times people think 
we can use things like you know infrared cameras and and we do and and that's a useful tool but still it's we can't see through walls you know so if you're dealing with a wall system as an example like i've already mentioned that has a weather barrier behind the exterior wall cladding like stucco typically what we would do is we would do our water testing first before we modify or destroy anything obviously but you know if we're able to recreate a leak in a certain area the fact is with that kind of a wall system as an example we're not able to see the actual weather barrier the actual component on the wall that's resisting the water and where you know the failure most likely is occurring if if the leak is there so we would need to actually remove the stucco there if if we're uh, in order to see what the problem is now you know for for south florida most buildings do not have that type of wall construction they're mostly barrier wall systems concrete and cmu and direct applied stucco which are designed to just deflect all the water at the exterior face of the wall so in that case you know the destructive testing is probably not necessary on the wall system where we usually well not usually but where we sometimes may have to do it at least when we're investigating wall and window leak problems in South Florida is we may have to remove interior finishes usually around a window or door in order to see because what what can happen is you could have water that could get in behind drywall at the interior and it can run down it, it can enter through the building envelope higher up on the building and then run down within interior finishes where you can't see it and you may only be seeing it at the bottom of the wall when it's really getting in at the top so that's typically if we're doing anything destructive on on leak investigations in south florida dealing with doors and windows and walls it, it would typically just be that just removal of interior finishes and sometimes if it is just removal of interior finishes that step would actually be done prior to the water testing just because we want to be able to actually see inside better while the test is going on but that's something that we determine on a case by case basis and we only would do would we would only ever do anything destructive if we had really good justification and reason to believe that there was a problem there we're not just going to go into a unit and say all the drywall has to be taken out because we're not sure no we're going to we're going to pinpoint it as best as we can to a general area and we're going to focus on that only if it's absolutely necessary and we feel like we can really justify having to do that destructive step because if you didn't do that you would may have incomplete results or maybe things going on that, that you couldn't see so and just to set people's mind at ease you know we're talking about cutting their drywall how do we handle that so that when the evaluation's over and you know we've the problem's been solved and all that how, how do we handle removing drywall on someone's unit and then getting it back to like we were never there before well like i mentioned you know th these things i i think the, the important thing is we need to have a a good plan for what exactly we want to do ahead of time and as part of that plan depending on what needs to be removed and replaced if we're in that type of a situation we would probably involve a 
contractor who would be able to assist us with the testing and be able to cut things open and then be able to immediately follow behind us and close things back up at least temporarily so we can return the unit or the you know the that space back over to the owner yeah because you know the other thing that I thought of when we were just talking about this is a lot of times the window treatments need to be removed and that's sometimes easier said than done but you know a good contractor can remove and protect the window treatments can in a neat way um, open up any areas around the window with the drywall and paint and then put it back and restore it and repaint it and make it look like like we were never there so uh, it's not something, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it's just that's just a necessary thing that needs to be done and not doing it might get an incomplete result, which is obviously nobody wants. We're there to, to solve the problem. You had mentioned that, you know, if you had a building where, where water leakage is occurring all over the building, that you wouldn't test every window. You would only pick certain areas of test. So, the question that's often asked is, well, if you're not testing every window, how do you know in the end you're not going to fix everything or whether we're going to be able to successfully fix everything? Yeah, and and I think the amount of testing we do is going to depend on the amount of different conditions that we're seeing and, and the amount of different things that we feel like we would need to test. So this really is something that is determined on a case-by-case basis. You know, I, I think some people think they have in their mind that you need to do 25% or you need to do 50%. And and these are just basically pulling numbers out of thin air. You know, there's nothing to really su- support that. And it's important to keep in mind that, you know, there there have been people that have talked about the statistical significance of these kinds of things. And I think we have to be realistic when we're evaluating these problems. And like I mentioned, you know, if if we're dealing with, just to, to give you an example, you know, if we're dealing with a problem at a building and let's say we surveyed 100% of the units in the building, visually went in and looked at 100% of the units, and let's say that, you know, 50% of the units that we went in, we saw evidence of water leaks at the windowsills. We didn't see anything else. That that was it. And they all pretty much looked about the same. Maybe some of them were a little worse than others. Could be depending on what the exposure is on the outside of the building. But let's say that, you know, the, the evidence of water intrusion was pretty much the same in every single one that we saw was leaking. Does, is it really necessary to test every single one to be able to show that they're all leaking the same way? You know, I think, you know, if you, in, in that example, you pick a few that are representative. Um, maybe you pick a couple on the east side of the building, a couple on the west side, a couple at higher floors, you know, whatever the case may be. And you're, you test your theory and i think it's it's not hard it's not a big leap to understand that it's most likely the same problem that's occurring on other units that have similar evidence of water damage so what you're talking about which is what the ASTM E2128 is is based upon 
is a qualitative analysis. So if you look at every unit in the building, that's a quantitative analysis. It, quantitative is, you know, the, the number of units you're going to look at is 100%. A qualitative analysis is where, in, in the case of ASCM 2128, is where you would find areas with known prior leakage and you would investigate them. And as you said, of the typical conditions, and maybe there's one, maybe there's more than one, and then you can use expert judgment to apply those results to the remainder of the project. Right. I feel like we skipped over the, the water testing part a little bit, and we should just mention at the beginning when we're, we're doing the, the water testing, we're, we're trying to isolate different parts of the exterior envelope at the building at a time in order to pinpoint where that water is coming from. And, and I think... You know, we began this whole conversation talking about what windows and doors were rated for, what they were lab tested for, what they were field tested for, uh, for new construction. And I think it's important to point out that, like we mentioned earlier, the test standard for the forensic water testing of windows and doors is AMA 511. And the important thing that we have to talk about and we see a lot of people make this mistake is that it's not appropriate to test windows and doors to their original design pressure after they're more than six months old according to AMA. And you know we can take an extreme example and say you know, there's a 20 year old window on a building it's not logical to go and say we're going to test it according to its original design it's it's 20 years old you know it's it doesn't make sense and and not to mention that the fact that that original design pressure that window never even experiences those conditions normally at this particular location so you know if we decide that it's necessary to do a chamber test to simulate a wind driven rain condition on a window or door how we determine that test pressure according to AMA 511, is based on local weather conditions. So what they tell you to do is, ideally you would know when exactly the window or door was reported to be leaking, and you could look up what the weather conditions were on that day, and you can do that on um, NOAA, uh, you know, there, there's various websites you can find that information going back years even if you wanted to and you would test it to simulate the wind on that day so let's say on that day you you look up the weather and it said they got a half an inch of rain and there were 30 mile an hour winds well you know you're going to do the chamber test at to, to try to simulate those 30 mile an hour winds which is at least in south florida often much, much less than what the window was originally designed for. But, you know, and I can't stress this enough because we see it, we see other experts in our field that also make this mistake all the time. And it, you should not be testing these older windows and doors to their original design pressure. Now, it could be that the leak only occurred at much higher wind speeds so it's it's certainly plausible that something leaked only because the conditions exceeded what it was rated for. 
but you know there should be weather data that supports that and and the whole thing but we're trying to simulate conditions that actually occurred at the building so the point here being that you're not necessarily trying to make things leak when you do these tests you're actually trying to use the tests as an evaluation tool under real world conditions to find out what's going on figure out how to fix it and then and, and confirm that the fix works well and i think you're you're trying to recreate a leak you're not trying to make a leak you're not trying to make things leak that have never leaked under normal conditions but if you can recreate a leak that looks like it could have caused damage inside the building and do that in a controlled way like i mentioned by isolating different things then i think that tells you a lot and that's really what we're trying to get at with the testing yeah so let's real briefly talk about what a leak is you know because it sounds so simple water coming in the building it's leaking you know there's industry standards around leaks and leaks can be interpreted differently by different people and the thing that that comes to mind when i think about this is that when you have a a sliding glass door going out on a balcony and it rains what happens inside the sliding glass door track jason well right and this is something we get comments on all the time but most sliding glass doors in South Florida, they have a drainable sill member, which is designed to collect water that meets the door and drain it back out to the exterior. So you can, during a rainstorm, the homeowner could be looking into the track and it could be full of water and maybe not understand that and think that they've got a problem when in fact it's performing the way it was intended to. Yeah. And, and this is, going back to evaluating the design concepts like we talked about and I've seen cases uh, buildings in South Florida where we've had you know maybe it was a maintenance guy or somebody went and they saw water was getting into the track and they felt like it shouldn't be there and they apply caulking to the inside of of the track like between the fixed panel and the sill and not really understanding what they're doing, now they're actually reducing the ability of that sill to drain water, and now they have uh, water that's overflowing inside of the unit over the sill. So they've just, again, by not understanding the design concept, we've just made it worse. Yeah, we do see that all the time. So let's just talk about you know some of the do's and don'ts with the water leakage investigation. So Jason, that's really interesting. I don't think people realize the complexity of water leakage investigations, but, and, and to do them correctly. And as you said before, we see so many times when we go out and there may be, you know, people that are working for the property, contractors, you know, um, design professionals, whatever, that don't really understand this and they don't do it correctly. And ultimately, unfortunately, the problems don't get solved. So I've got a list of do's and don'ts that I wanted to run through in closing. So do select test assemblies based upon the service history and known water leakage occurrences. So you want to test in areas where leakage has has occurred before, and you don't want to randomly select test locations. This does bring to mind a a project that we, we just recently worked on, Jason, around a hurricane claim 
where we did exactly that. We tested assemblies based upon where we saw evidence of water, ongoing water leakage and water damage. And what we did after that was we actually tested some assemblies where we didn't see evidence of water leakage, but it wasn't random. It was done purposefully. And the reason was twofold. One was that you know, all the windows and doors in this building got hit with extreme winds, over 100 miles an hour, rain, long duration of time. And we wanted to, you know, we suspected there may have been concealed damage inside the assemblies with sealants and weather strippings and things like that, that you could only see if you took the whole thing all apart. And we wanted to basically verify if there was water leakage occurring as a result of concealed damage. The second thing that we wanted to evaluate was this building was, I can't remember, a 30, 40-year-old building. And many units had the original 30, 40-year-old windows in them. Other ones had windows that were replaced before the storm that may have only been two years old, five years old, 10 years old. We wanted to test some of them also to evaluate how they perform in everyday weather conditions. So there's a lot of latitude to the investigator using ASTME 2128. And in this case, to do a thorough investigation, we expanded the sampling to to cover that. Another thing you just got done talking about was do carefully follow the professional standard of care in determining test pressures. You want to get appropriate test pressures to simulate real weather conditions that have occurred at or near the site. Don't test to cause leaks. You don't want to just test away and and have everything leak because you've really proven nothing except that you can make them leak with your test equipment. Another thing that you touched on, Jason, was do isolate test areas to conclusively document water leakage sources. You know, that's where we might, for instance, put tape and plastic over the caulking and the stucco that surround the window and door so that the water only goes on the window and door. And that way you can basically see how the window and door by itself is performing and you could do it the other way around you could you and sometimes we do it both ways where you can isolate the window and test the stucco so there's a nice little list of do's and don'ts jason really great job really interesting talking about this i know it's a huge issue and and it's something that we deal with every day so thanks so much for uh, coming on and sharing wisdom with our podcast listeners It was fun. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our podcast today. If you want more information about uh, GCI consultants, we've we've even got some videos and things like that on our website that show water leakage testing and whatnot. You can look that all up at www.gciconsultants. There's an S on the end of consultants gciconsultants.com. If you've got some specific problems that you want to talk about, you can reach us at 877-740-9990. Again, 877-740-9990. Thank you once again, everyone. And I look forward to talking with you next time on a future Everything Building Envelope podcast episode. This is Paul Beers with Jason Bondurant signing off till next time. So long, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more information on the Everything Building Envelope, previous episodes, show notes, bonus video content, and much more, 
check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com.